Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Hannah. I'm on staff here at High Point Church. And in this episode, we'll hear from Pastor Steve Nicholson from the Vineyard Church in Evanston, Illinois, about his experience with the process of becoming a multicultural church. This content comes from a seminar that we held here at High Point Church in March of 2017 for leaders of the church to envision the value of multiculturalism, explain where we are in the process of becoming a more multicultural church, and to talk about our next steps in the process. This is the second of two talks that we've aired from that seminar, so if you haven't heard it already, we encourage you to check out our previous episode featuring our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, discussing High Point's value of being a multicultural church. We hope that both of these talks bless you and help to equip and strengthen you as you come to know, love, and follow Jesus more in the local church. Enjoy! Morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, I'm right now in my 41st year of pastoring. Um, We uh, started this church back uh, when I was 23 years old so I could have a church to go to. Our vision was that we were going to worship God with guitars, we were going to have small groups, and we were going to stop dressing up for church. This is Sunday morning attire for us. Um, And we fulfilled our vision on the first Sunday. And it's been 41 years of finding out what God had in mind. And being multicultural is one of God's biggest surprises in my life. I, um, when we started, we were pretty much all white. Uh, I think we had a couple token Asians, a couple token uh, Latinos that sort of squeezed in the door and nobody could stop them. But mostly we were white. We were all college educated And I can remember, and this is back in the 70s, so we were pretty close to the civil rights movement, people saying, don't you think the church should be more integrated, would be the the phrase that we used at the time. Because after all, the Bible, you know, you know, the Bible's going to get you in a ton of trouble in the end. So, (laughs) yeah, you know, but you know, at the end in the Bible, in the last book, you know, it ends up with every tribe and tongue and nation in front of Jesus all together. And there's not like separate sections. <laughs> and uh, I, my response at the time was, that sounds like heaven, but I don't think it's possible on this earth. Uh, I, I just... I just didn't know how it could be done. I'd seen some people try and fail and I thought it wasn't possible. So fast forward another 15 years, and one day, I was, it was a, I think it was a Saturday, I was at home, I was watching a history documentary on television, which is, kind of tells you something about the kind of person I am. Um, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, God spoke to me and he says, I'm gonna make your church a multiracial, multicultural church, and by the time I get done, there won't be a majority group just about as clear as I've ever heard anything from God. And so I say, well, God, I don't know how you're going to get there, given what you have to start with. But I'll tell you what. If you bring the people, I'll do my best to love them. I can figure that out. And we'll take it from there. And he started bringing them. And I started finding out, of course, that 
If you really learn to love people, you have to love them on their terms, not your own. Which is, you know, one of the first things you learn in marriage. <laughs> and uh, once you get in figuring out, once you start trying to figure out what does it mean to love these other people on their terms, you're already going down the road of being multicultural. And so it just has continued to happen bit by bit by bit over 25 years. As of this last January, we, we take a survey every January, we are 37% white. We are a pretty even mix of all kinds of other groups. And it's people from 60 different nations of the world. Uh, we have a Spanish-speaking congregation that is going on right now. We have a Korean-speaking small group. And we are praying and believing God that in the near future we're going to start an Arabic-speaking congregation, which is a whole other God story in and of itself. So, um, and it's, it's uh, also very economically diverse. So we have long-term uh, entrenched poverty kind of people um, of various sorts, as well as, you know, young professionals flying high in Chicago tech industry and whatnot. And we're all together and learning how to do this Jesus thing together. So that's kind of who we are. And we've learned a lot of things over this. And I, I want to just start with saying why I think multicultural churches are important. And I think, first of all, multicultural churches illustrate the power of the gospel for all peoples. It just seems to me like it's, it's pretty impossible to say, I believe that Jesus came for everybody. And then not, like, not see that being lived out in your own life, um, fundamentally. You know? And I think one of the sort of greatest charges against the church has been that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. So right in our experience right now is when people walk into our church before they've heard or anything, they're like already falling down almost. Like, what's going on in this place? Um, Lloyd's been there, he, he saw it, you know, you just look and you just realize, like, this is like the United Nations. Um, um, something powerful must be happening here. Um, and if you believe in the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus has come to make right everything that's wrong in the world, well, one of the biggest things wrong in the world is the division between people and nations. But from the day of Pentecost on, it's been reversing. You, you remember when on the day of Pentecost, everybody spoke in different languages? Well, like that's the reversal of the Tower of Babel. That's like the beginning of the end. Um, that's, that's the first step towards make God making right everything that's wrong in the world. And the church should be a place where people see that being lived out. Two... Um, Multicultural churches are one of the few places where genuine bridges are being built. Um, one of the things that we've found is that 
A lot of people are in school or in work in what you would call integrated environments. But they don't actually become friends. They don't actually build anything more than what you need for a working relationship. But in the church, it's all relationship. It's, it's kind of like what Nick was saying. This is a fundamentally very intensely relational thing. And in the, in the church, what happens is we're trying to be brothers and sisters. And so something starts happening in a multicultural church that doesn't happen anywhere else. Because in the church, we start learning from each other. In the church, we sit in each other's homes. In the church, we start appreciating each other's food and each other's ways. And, you know, and the list just goes on and on and on. There's no other place where it goes that far. Um, if you're really serious about it. Because for us, it's never been just about getting all these different people in a room at the same time on Sunday morning. It's always been about, no, we're building a community here. We're, it's not just a, a, a concert. You, you can do a concert and get all, got all kind of different people in there. You can, you can do a Cubs game and get all kind of different people there, especially now. Costs you more money. Um, but uh, they're not affecting each other. But what we're doing affects each other. So I just, we tell people up front ever, when they come into the church now, like, yeah, you need to understand this is a multicultural church, and we intend to live it out Monday through Saturday, as well as Sunday. And to be a part of this, you have to commit to learning from people who are not like you. And we want you to be affected by them, and we want them to be affected by you. We are learning from each other and sharing with each other. And it's one, it's, it doesn't happen anywhere else. Three, multicultural churches enhance true discipleship. It is fundamentally an issue of discipleship because if you aren't learning how to love people not like you, then I question how much of a disciple of Jesus you are because that's what Jesus is all about. If you're not being stretched, well, then maybe discipleship is kind of stalled out for you. My whole understanding of the nature of discipleship is it's a, it's a process of being stretched of learning to live a kingdom life, um, a Jesus life. Um, and one of the things about being in a multicultural church is that you have to stretch. So, you know, just to give a, a, a simple example, an obvious example, worship. The way it works out in our church, nobody gets to have their kind of worship all the time. Okay, we all got our favorites. I certainly have my favorites. But I don't get to have my favorites all the time. Nobody gets to have their favorites all the time. I have to learn to appreciate other people's favorites and to worship with their favorites. I have to stretch. But if you stretch, you just might discover something that you really, really like that you never knew. Something really life-changing and something that takes your spirituality to a whole nother level. You know, one of the common dynamics, you know, I'm now 64, eyeballing it. There's a few of you in the room that are kind of in my neighborhood, so to speak. Um, 
you know how it is that the way you were in college and the spirituality you had in college doesn't really quite has the, have the oomph by itself to take you all the way through. Something has, you have to learn some new, new tricks, so to speak. You have to learn some new things. You've got to stretch if this thing is going to continue to have life in it to the end of your life. So it's great for discipleship. Um, and four, multicultural churches are the wave of the future. Um, everywhere. Especially any urban center anywhere in the world. Um, you know, you just, this is what's happening in our world, that all the urban centers are where there's a whole new economy emerging, and it's all multicultural and multinational, and it's people from all different parts of the world, and that's the future. That's, that's where things are happening, and it's happening in Shanghai, and it's happening in Bangalore, and it's happening in New York, and Chicago, and just any other major city you can think of. This is where things are happening, and that's where most of the people are. And it makes, of course, some people profoundly uncomfortable but it's fundamentally unstoppable. It cannot be stopped unless you ban airplanes, destroy the internet, um, you know, go back 150 years technology-wise, and I don't think that's going to happen. So it's unstoppable. And I think that It's going to be very difficult for any church to have any credibility that's not in some way or other living out multicultural Christianity. You're just not going to have any credibility. And I do travel quite a bit and talk to lots of people. And when I talk to younger people in particular, they all want to be in that kind of church. They all want to do that kind of church. That's what they want. So it's the way of the future. And I... I guess what, what I want to say is it can be done. You can do this. And you might actually find out that it's a lot of fun. You know, I have really found it to be like the adventure of a lifetime. It's intensely fun. Um, it, you do have to have some tolerance for, like, you know... Um, making some mistakes and learning new things. Um, but it's really a lot of fun. Um, so like when a funeral happens at our church now, the next question is, well, what kind of a funeral are we doing? Because funerals, it turns out, are intensely cultural. <laughs> you know, and so there, some of our different groups, they have certain traditions of the way they do things that are that are and the way they do funerals that are really different and uh, I've I've come to like really appreciate them and really love what they do or (laughs) um, this will give you an example of what I mean Uh, for a couple of years my wife and I were assigned to go down to Chile to work with some vineyard churches down there to help them sort out some problems and so the nature of the deal was we were calling all the pastors of all the vineyard churches together for weekends, and we would work together for a whole weekend. And 
in South America, generally, the cultural rule is that when somebody walks into a room, they need to hug and kiss every other person in the room before they can have a seat. And if you come into a gathering like this, there's this strong obligation, you must hug and kiss everybody in the room. So it just takes forever to get the meeting started. But when somebody like comes late, the meeting has to stop so they can hug and kiss everybody in the room, like they're rewarding them for being late. <laughs> With hugs and kisses all around. And at the beginning, the thing just drove me nuts. I thought, we're never going to get this meeting going anywhere. Like, we talked for 10 minutes, and then we're hugging and kissing again. <laughs> you know, how are we going to get this thing done? However, the interesting thing is that when we got to some of the really hard topics that we had to work through, where it was really, where I thought it was going to be like, okay, this is where we're going to see the knives come out. It was like a hot knife through butter. They'd like hugged and kissed themselves into loving each other. And it ended up not being a problem at all. And we actually got done quicker. So I thought, maybe there's more to be said for hugs and kisses than I thought. You know, so and I actually, after about three years, started like liking it. You know, like thinking, oh, that's there's some, that's kind of nice, you know, starting every meeting with a full round of hugs and kisses. Um, so, you might like it. You might enjoy the process. For us, there were four commitments that made the whole thing possible that I made to God up front. When he first spoke to me, I said, okay, these are the things I'll do. Because I don't know how to do this. And at, that time, at the time that he spoke to me, there weren't even many books. There actually are books now. There's a lot more people writing about this. But at that time, there weren't. So number one, a commitment to listen. Just a simple commitment. Just to listen to each other and to listen to people who are not like you. Um, I thought, I can do that. I can just listen to the stories. Just let people tell you their stories. There are stories out there that will wreck you. They'll just wreck you. Uh, I was at a meeting of vineyard leaders, well, actually, yesterday in Florida when it was 80 degrees. <laughs> and uh, and uh, one of the young guys from Iowa was talking to me, and he started listening to some of the uh, minority folks in his church and on a couple occasions found himself in people's living room double over sobbing uncontrollably because of the, the things that they were telling him had happened to them that he had never known about and never heard about um, and he's wrecked um, because he finally started listening so, start listening. And, you know, instead of just passing people by and giving them the handshake on Sunday morning, take them home or go to their house. Even better, because usually you get better food if you go with their house. Go to their house if they invite you or take them home and listen. And God will do something. 
So that's number one. Number two, a commitment to learn. Just a commitment to learn. You know, always the thing about multiculturalism is you don't know what you don't know. You start off, you don't know things about other people and how they think and what, how they see things. And you don't know what you don't know. But if you have a commitment to learn, you start learning. And you'll grow. And if you can have a learning posture, it makes all the uncomfortable bits a lot easier. You know, Nick was referencing, there's going to be places where it's uncomfortable. And the way I talk to my church about it is this. I say, you know, it's true that sin has infected every culture of the world and every human. But it's also true that God has hidden bits of himself and of his goodness and of his truth in every culture of the world. And at the end, it says in the Bible that the kings of the earth will come back together bringing gifts to the throne of God. Well, what gifts could they bring to the throne of God that would mean anything except what they were given from God in the first place? So every culture has something about God, about God's ways, about God's life, about God's heart that you can only get by learning from them. There are things about God you'll never learn without this. You'll never get the whole picture. You're actually missing out on part of it without this. So when you, when you get to those points where you're like, this feels weird, this feels a little strange, why do they do it that way? Why do they think that way? You just kind of say, this maybe is one of those hidden nuggets. <coughs> this is an opportunity maybe for me to learn something that... Uh, God has hidden in this other culture. And if you have a learning posture, it works a lot better. And you might live longer, actually. Because I didn't know how task-oriented I was until I started meeting some of these other people, the Latinos, who are much more relational-oriented. And I learned to kind of relax a little bit and enjoy life a little bit more. And I'm quite certain I, that probably tacked a few extra years on my life um, by learning from them. So... Come out to learn. Three, come out to love, and I kind of mentioned that already. Come out to love. You've got to love people on their own terms. And kind of once you get started on that, it gets contagious. The, the whole commitment to love. You start loving people not like you. you. You find yourself loving people not like you everywhere you go, and you accidentally end up evangelizing people you never thought you would. So uh, in our church right now, it started because uh, the United States brought in 10,000 refugees from Syria before the ban and plopped a whole bunch of them about a mile from our church. And so we uh, got a bunch of small groups together and we helped them set up house because they come with nothing. They're not like other people you know, uh, who are immigrants. They really come with nothing. Started helping these people. Well, now they have started coming to, to, to church, and some of them are coming to faith, and are, there's a, a few of them now that are getting ready to get baptized, and now we're like talking about, well, maybe we need to start like an Arabic-speaking church because there's now a little corner in the back of the church of people getting everything translated into Arabic because we just started off just trying to love people who needed love. And so, how about that? 
You know, so if you got any extra refugees that they don't want in Madison, send them to us. We'll take them. And number four, a commitment to share. Just a commitment to share everything is what we had at the beginning. Like, we're going to share. Share our stuff, share our place. You know, uh, when you make room, you know, when somebody comes to a table and the table's full, if you have a commitment to share, you like, everybody squeezes together a little tighter and you pull up another chair and you make room for them, right? Isn't that what you do? So, like, well, that's what, that's a little bit about what the multiculturalism is about, especially when you're, like, talking about leadership and service and whatnot. It's just like, oh, let's, let's, let's all just squeeze a little bit here together. Nobody has to, like, leave the table. You just, like, squeeze a little bit and you share, and you pull up another chair, and everybody just keeps sharing. It works.